This is KMTT. This is Ezra Beck, and I want to take a minute for my regular broadcasting. Because this week is the KMTT Appreciation Drive Week. Once a year, and only once a year, we take a few minutes for the regular broadcasting to appeal to our listeners who are the only source of support for KMTT. KMTT is a strictly 100% listener-supported uh, program. And therefore, we have no choice, but once a year, we have to appeal to you to show your appreciation if you have appreciated, if you've learned on this program, and you want the program to continue, to show it in a material manner. Amen. And therefore, we're uh, approaching, we're appealing to the listener base, to the KMTT worldwide community, to take a few minutes this week to show the appreciation by supporting, by giving donations, donations to keep the uh, keep the program going. And how much is KMTT worth to you? It depends on how much you can afford. Uh, I would say that that's the basic membership fee for a year. It would be it would be nice if you could send us twenty to twenty five dollars. And if you want to show your appreciation per share, I'd just like to remind you that there are over uh, something like two hundred shiurim, two hundred episodes a year, so a hundred hours of programming. Coffee would be significant if we added up all those shiurim, and the show. You know, give what you can and keep the program going. And I'm going to give you two phone numbers, one for the United States, one for Israel, so that you can immediately call to get more information or to make your pledge. And, of course, on the, on the net, you can also donate from, from our website at org. And in New York, the phone number is 212-732-4874. The number of friends of Shabbat Haaretzion, and in Israel, 052-545-6023. And now back to our regular programming. This is KMTT. The week begins this uh, winter, Tavshin Ayin, with a shiur by Harav Benjamin Tavoy, a series, weekly series on uh, modern responsa of the 20th century, more or less, both the individual and the, and the topic. Harabi Yamin Taboy. Today, we will discuss the tshuvos of Reb Chaim Ozek Grajinsky, the in his farm called Achiezer. Reb Chaim was born in Lithuania, not far from Vilna, in 1863, Elo Tafresh Chavkimo. He was born to a family of Tamini Chachamim. His father was a known Tamit Chacham, as was his grandfather. In fact, some of their chuvos have been printed. Many of their writings, unfortunately, have been lost. When Reb Chaim was a young fellow, he learned in the yeshiva of Ashishok, and then he went to the yeshiva of Valazhin. In Valazhin, he became very close to Reb Chaim, and they remained 
very close to each other for many, many years. In 1887, when Reb Chaim was only 24 years old, he was appointed to be a Rav and then later to be a Dayan in Vilna. He was very quickly perceived to be the, the Dayan of Vilna. And in that capacity, he also led many rabbinic assemblies, many of the ideas of that generation were partly instigated by him, and certainly he took a major role in their founding. He was one of the leaders of the foundation of the Aguda movement, of the Varha Yeshiva movement. He became the head of that movement. In a certain sense, he was the unofficial Posek who took the place of Reb Yitzhak Hanan on one hand. On the other hand, he was acknowledged to be the leader of European Jewry. He, in Vilna, had a, an unusual circumstance that for a long time Vilna was considered a neutral area, and therefore many of the Gedolei Yisrael came to Vilna, and Reb Chaim Moser took care of people, worried about people, and was very involved in many communal activities. Rabbi Salavechik uh, <coughs> was maspid, Reb Chaim Ozer, I think it was at the Aguda Convention in the early 40s, and his point, one of his main points in that Hesped, which today is printed in the book called Divrei Hagut Vaharacha, is that one of the main essential elements in the character of Reb Chaim Ozer is that he fought to have a unity between two aspects. The Rav called it the Choshen and the Tzitz. But he, what he meant to say is he did not satisfy himself by only me, by merely being the posek of halachic questions, but he also was the posek of communal activities. He understood how important it was for one person to combine both. That Hesped has engendered uh, quite a great deal of discussion about Rav Salavechik's attitude toward the concept of Das Torah. This is, of course, not our topic today, and to study the Rav's thought in different times would be interesting in this area. I just pointed out that he did, the Rav was Masped Reb Chaim Ozer, both as a Gadol and both as a communal leader of his generation. Although he was continually busy with Tzarchei Tzibur, very, very active in the community, as I mentioned before, he was also a great Poseik, and he published his Tzvarim called Achiezer. In his lifetime, he printed three volumes. One of them, the first one, is was printed in 1922, it mostly deals with questions of Evan Ezer, as we would expect many questions of Igun occurred there where Reb Chaim Ozer fought valiantly to re- allow women to remarry 
under many different circumstances. He also has in his chuvos a mixture of psak and lambdas. Another person who wrote about Reb Chaim Ozer was Harav Zevin, who has a chapter devote, devoted to, Rav, to the Reb Chaim Ozer in his classic Sefer, Ishim Veshitos. In that book, he mentions that the chuvos are unusual because two types of people, two different types of people, found great interest in his chuvos. Generally, Chuvos are either lambdas or psakalacha, but Reb Chaim combined both. People who were lamdim found a great store of lambdas in his farm, and of course, in the world of psak, Reb Chaim was considered one of the major poskim of his generation. The second volume was devoted to Yeridea. Again, questions which affect many important issues of general importance in halacha. Some of them, again, are reviewed by Rav Zevin in his Sefer, Ishim Veshitos. But there are also a section there on Kachim, which doesn't seem to be generally within the world of Shelotu Tshuvot, Halacha Lemaaseh, but uh, we know that many Gedolim appended to their Svarm of Chuvos a section on Kachim. Rabbi Osher Feinstein did that in also in his vol- volume on uh, Igros Moshe, in one of the volumes of Igros Moshe. Chela Gimel, which was printed in 1939. Now you have to remember how important Rabbi Chaim Ozer was in political affairs, how crucial he was. He was. And also is the state of his health in 1939. He was not well. He passed away only one year later. And yet, in that year, he printed the third volume of Chuvas, which in a certain sense have more general Chuvas that were written to him from all over the world. There were questions from Australia, and questions from France, and questions from America, etc., etc. The fourth volume of Chuvas was actually printed posthumously in 19... Um, in Tavshin Memvav, which is 1946, if I'm not mistaken, in in 1986, another volume of Chuvas was printed in Bnei Brak, which was taken from various sources. That volume also has correspondence between Reb Chaim Ozer and many Gedolim who responded to the to the Achiezer, and have letters of Torah between them and Reb Chaim Ozer. Included among those people are Rebbe Sizaman Meltzer, the Chazonish, the Stipler, the greatest Gedolim of that time. The introduction to the Chuvos of the first volume, which as I said before was printed in 1922, has two interesting comments. One of them is that it's a difficult time in world history and some people might question, is it time to print Svarim at this time? And Reb Chaim Moser's answer, of course, was devoted to the importance of Talmud Torah and how important it is at all times in Jewish history what maintained our identity was Talmud Torah, and therefore it is appropriate to publish Chuvos, to publish Svarim whenever we can. The second interesting point in that introduction 
was how he thanks America. And he said how he found, again, in 1922, he found that there is a light in the Jewish world of Torah and Chesed in the Jews who live in America, some of them who came from Europe, but whose efforts have helped people actually kept them from starvation. In Europe, they helped them with their spiritual and cultural activities as well, and he really gives a, a great deal of praise to the life in America, which helped sustain European jury at that time. We will deal with a few, a few chuvos of Reprim Moser. Two of them are probably the most, or maybe the most famous that I, that I know of. In the third volume, which I said was designated for general questions and was printed just before Abraham Moser passed away in the year 1939, there's a tshuva that was written that's dated Tafresh Ayin Beis. Now, that to me is uh, interesting what the date is because he refers to the time that it's after the Great War, after the Revolution, when a time when Gerus has now become permitted and has been recognized by the civil authorities. And therefore, questions of Gerus were more relevant than perhaps they were in earlier times. The question was asked in Simen Chavav about a couple that was married in a civil ceremony in America. He was Jewish and she was not. They came to convert, and one Rav had written to Rabbi to to Moser that perhaps we can be makeup, partly because of what I call halachic blackmail. If they won't be her, there was always a chance that she'll go to a reform rabbi. This question came from America, and they were afraid she would go to a reform rabbi who would do some sort of a quasi conversion, which would not have any validity at all. Therefore, maybe it would be appropriate to allow her to have con- to be converted before an Orthodox Besdin, where at least there would be Tvila and Kabbalah's mitzvahs the way it should be done. Rebchaim Moser, of course, deals with the case of a person who is suspected of having relations with a person before they convert, if they're allowed to convert, and one of the main points he makes there is that Bidiyeved, the conversion, would work. He also suggests that the Kabbalah's mitzvos would be questionable here because we know they're going to afterwards get married, which is a halachic issue. Of course, it's not a Dinda Raisa, but nevertheless, it is a problem that uh, a person who, who comes to convert, but he does not accept one iota of Jewish law, you can't, be, you can't uh, accept. So Rebchaim Moser has uh, two interesting points about this. One is, he discusses the difference between Kabbalah's mitzvahs and Hodoas mitzvahs. Now this discussion, of course, is a very important discussion and it goes on till today. 
what is the place of Kabbalah's mitzvahs in Geus. Rebchaim Ozer, as was pointed out again by the Svarim that I mentioned above, Rebchaim Zevin pointed it out, that Rebchaim Ozer, in a different approach than the Rogachever, Rebchaim Ozer did quote Achronim, and very often brought Achronim, who are poskim, to support his argument, when very often you, you really did not need their support necessarily. Here he quotes Achemda Shlomo, who said, there's two different issues. There's Hodas Mitzvahs and Kabbalah Mitzvahs. Hodas Mitzvahs is the fact that a person should be made aware of Mitzvahs. Kabbalah Mitzvahs means he should accept the yoke of Torah Mitzvahs. Now, the Rambam in Perak Yud Gimel of Hilchas seems to say that Hodas Mitzvahs is not Ma'akev. A person who does not have Hodas Mitzvahs can convert. And the, some of the commentaries in the Rambam really thought that, you see, Kabbalah's Mitzvahs is not Ma'akev. But here, the argument would be that Hodas Mitzvahs is not Ma'akev, but Kabbalah's Mitzvahs is certainly Ma'akev. Rabbi Soloveitchik also interpreted the Rambam as such. In fact, the Rav explained the exact language of the Rambam, which we won't go into right now, to mean that Kabbalah's Mitzvahs is not one of the stages of Geirus. There are different stages of Geirus. There's Mila, there's Tevila. At the time that you could, you have to bring a carbon. But the Rav felt that Kabbalah's Mitzvahs is the foundation of what Geirus is. Without Kabbalah's Mitzvahs, it's not, well, Geirus is incomplete. That's not what Geirus is. Geirus consists of, probably of two parts. One, of accepting and two, joining Klal Yisrael. Summarily, we could use the four words that we find in Tanakh, when in Sefer Rus, when she says, Amech Ami Velokai that there are four, those four words symbolize what Geirus is, your nation's my nation, your God is my God, I accept Torah mitzvahs. Do you, does that mean that you know all the Torah mitzvahs? Not necessarily. Hodas mitzvahs is not Ma'akev. But a general Kabbalah's mitzvahs that I will accept, I accept Torah mitzvahs. But in this case, is there Kabbalah's mitzvahs? Reb Chaim Ozer obviously felt that Kabbalah's mitzvahs is Ma'akev in Geirus. So is there Kabbalah's mitzvahs? Reb Chaim Ozer said, in an interesting Chirish, which we'll see that some people have argued with, Chaim Ozer said that a person who says they'll accept mitzvahs, but even though we know and they know that they will transgress certain mitzvahs, they will do certain averos, that necessary that does not mean they're not makabal mitzvahs. Many of us, unfortunately, do one or another avera, in fact, sometimes rather consistently. Would we say that we are not people who are Mechabel Omach we do certain Averos, we'll call it Leteyavon. Not out of bad intention necessarily, but uh, as frail as we are, that's what we do. So, Reb Chaim Moses said, that's all a Ger has to do. He has to be Mechabel Mitzvos. To accept upon himself all Torah Mitzvos. Even though, later on, or perhaps even now, he realizes that he'll do certain Averis Lateyavim. Abraham Ozer also argued that there is a concept of Kabbalah's mitzvahs because 
Agav Ones Gomer Omakne. He quotes Rishonim, who discuss the phrase that when a person is forced to, he accepts the conditions upon which he he was forced. The Gemara, for example, in Bava Basra, has a whole sugya of Tolyavazavim. If a person was forced to sell something, he didn't want to sell it. Let's say it's worth a thousand dollars, and the the a person comes and says, "I want to buy your painting. It's worth a thousand dollars." The fellow says, "I don't want to sell it." So he holds a gun to his head and said, "No, I want you to sell it, but I'll give you the thousand dollars. It's a sale." So at the end, the person is afraid for his life, so he gives in and takes the thousand dollars and sells the object. Halachically, is that sale valid? The Gemara says yes, because agavana is gamaramakne. He was forced to. In a certain sense, all sales are basically something a person is somewhat forced into for whatever reason. So, But he agreed at the end. And here, because he wants to, or she in this case, wants to convert in order to marry the person, the bottom line, the Reb Chaim Ozer says, is that this case, well, like in other cases, he said you should go to the Besdin, discuss it with the Besdin, but it is permissible to be Megayer. He also enters a serious discussion, should we give in to halachic blackmail at all? That issue is uh, not the main issue decided here, because he said at the end we'll go to the local Besdin, but I will refer to it hopefully a little later. This tshuva became a topic of debate among other poskim at that time. Without referring to the letters that appear in the Achiezer that I said was printed in Ben Abrak, I'd like to refer to a tshuva of the Dra Avram. Dra Avram was Rabbi Avram Dovber Kana Shapira, who was the Rav of Kovna. He actually was the person that gave smicha to Rav Salavechik. And in the last volume of his tshuvas, of the Rav Ram, he has a letter that he wrote to Rav, uh, Rav Chaim Ozer about this particular tshuva. So he discusses the concept of Agav Ones Gomer Omakne. And he said, the Rav Ram says, I don't understand how that applies to this case. Because Agav Ones means when I sold something, I sold it with full intent after I was forced to. But here, the question is, is there really Kabbalah's mitzvahs? He wants to convert, but all he has to do is say to the people that I mean to convert. So, is that considered Kabbalah's mitzvahs? Is that considered Agavonas Gomer Omakne? The other issue that, that uh, among others, that the Avram raised was with a, a big argument which one could question, and it would be very relevant to Halacha Lamasa today. If a Reb Chaim Moser said, if a person accepts Torah mitzvahs, he makes no stipulations at all, but I know that he will not fulfill all the laws of the Torah, l'te'avon, that's not considered a, a lack of Kabbalah. And the Dvar Avram says, ani means, I'm not convinced about this. Because at the time when he accepts, in quotation marks, he really believes that he's going to transgress, I don't believe that's considered Kabbalah, says the Dvar And that is what he would call a Taiti the Satri. 
So you could t- discuss if with the Eved it is Ma'akev and the Avram is not sure about this. And he said, therefore, you know, I, I'm impressed by the Kolach HaTeh of Ozer and maybe sometimes I would agree to his Psak. The next Shuv of Reb Chaim Ozer also deals with Gerus, where he has also an interesting question of a person who converted in Australia. Again, a question of marriage, but in that particular case, the Rabbiner, I assume that this is not one of the Gedolei Hador, and perhaps when he uses the Rabbiner, he means either a conservative or a former rabbi in Australia, the Rabbiner accepted him, and the Moel, Moalim, actually two Moalim, were two doctors who were not Jewish. The, it took place in the presence of the Rabbiner, and when they decided to do the bris, they found that he was actually circumcised, he was Moel. So they wanted to do what they call Hatavas Dambris, another slight cut, and then the person said, no, he was actually Jewish. He, look, he was converted. So then the question was a little complicated. All his life, everybody had considered this person to be non-Jewish. And now, because of the fact that he wanted to get married and he saw that he was circumcised, he said maybe he was Jewish. That Reb Chaim rejects completely. We do not believe him. We do not accept his claim because all his life he had been brought up as not Jewish. The other question was asked, the, this Rabbiner who performed this quasi-conversion was one person. Now we know that Gavish requires a Besdin. Reb points out the Machlokas, what part of Gavis requires requires um, a Bezdin. And he said the fact that one Rabbiner was there is not sufficient to have a conversion. Also, the fact that there was Hatafas Dambris done by Nanju, would that be considered Hatafas Dambris? For the purpose of, Geir, of, of, of a Jewish boy born to a Jewish mother, and he would have uh, bris by a non-Jew, that might be considered a uh, a uh, proper conversion. Reb refers you to the Shulchan Aruch in Yeridea, that the Mechaber says that would, if it was done by a non-Jew, it would it would be sufficient. The Ramah said there are those that argue require Hadafas Dambris. Rebchaim Ozer said that's true if you're born to a Jewish mother. But in the case of Gerus, no doubt you have to have Hadafas Dambris done by a, a Jew. And therefore he said if this person wants to convert, he has to have a new conversion with a Bezdin and he has to have a very, very tiny uh, bit of surgery which we would call Hadafas Dambris. He does bring contrary opinions, and as usual, we would find a, a chumrah here, he said, uh, it would be a little bit uh, one-sided to say that there's no chashash at all in, the, in what happened, but nevertheless, he recommends very strongly having another conversion. 
The last tshuva that I would like to mention today is a tshuva that, apo- that appeared in the last chilek of Achiazer, where he wrote about someone who had asked him if we should actually cancel Bichat Kohanim. Because the Kohanim generally are Mechal Shabbos. Now, that would be interesting to note where the question came from. Unfortunately, the date of this question and the source of this question are not mentioned. Someone had just asked the question and we don't know from where it stemmed. But it refers to a, a place where most of the Kohanim were Mechal Shabbos, but nevertheless, apparently they wanted to go to Dubiachas Kohanim. The fellow that wrote the tshuva, wrote the letter to Abchaim Moser, pointed out that if we if we don't allow them to do Birchas Kohanim, there might be collateral damage. Namely, they'll forget their Kohanim and they'll marry women who are forbidden to Kohanim. And perhaps they'll walk into cemeteries, they'll be mitame lemeks. So, here, in a sense, we go back to what I called before halachic blackmail. We're afraid of what the result would be if we issue such a psak. On the other hand, these people did not ask the question and present the blackmail to us, but the question was asked what we should do about such a case. Should we worry about the the future? Now, it seems to me that when we read this question, we would assume that these koanim at the, at that time were would not be mechalal, would not be <coughs> bimetame themselves. They wouldn't have <coughs> gone into a cemetery, and they did not marry women that were forbidden to koanim. Apparently, all that they did was they were mechalal shabbos. Very interesting to note again. What type of people are we talking about? It seems to recall to me times in the early history of the United States where people worked on Shabbos but considered themselves religious Orthodox Jews. They simply felt they could not find jobs that were open to people who kept Shabbos. Very often there was a phrase somewhat, if you don't come in on Saturday, don't come in on Monday. So, Maybe the people at that time were really considered themselves Shomer Shabbos. Reb Chaim Ozer's tshuva, it was here, is very succinct. And he said, these people are to be considered as a Tinoch Shanishba. He quotes the tshuva that we've mentioned before of Reb Yaakov Etlinger in Binyan Siyan, who says that in our generation, and again, Reb Yaakov Etlinger's generation was quite a bit before that, when perhaps the culture was in, in, in a sense, much better for Jewish religion, Orthodox Judaism than today, than it was at least in the time that we're talking about, if this question came from America in the early 20th century. So, Reb Chaim said we can consider them all Tinoch Shanishba, and therefore we should not stop them from going up to Fabichas Kohanim. Rabbi Shechter, Rav Herschel Shechter, in his Sefer, Nefesh Harav quotes Rav Salavechik 
as coming to the same decision, but from a different approach completely. Rav Moshe Salavechik was quoted by the Rav, quoted by Rav Shechter, as saying that we would have to question in general whether Mechamel Shabbos is indeed possible for Birchas Kohanim, without the argument of that he's a Tinoch Shenishba, even if he would not say he's a Tinoch Shenishba. But he's Mechamel Shabbos Mamish, so for certain things he might be possible, but maybe for Birchas Kohanim is not possible. Then you have to argue whether a Mechamel Shabbos is possible Avoda, and argue why he is Pasul Avoda. What is the reason he's Pasul Avoda? So there, the argument was, perhaps he's Pasul Avoda because it's Mos Lagavoa. A person who did Avoda Zara is Mos Lagavoa. Perhaps that only relate to a person who's really Oved Avoda Zara, and not to a person who's Mechal Shabbos. That argument was proposed by Reb Moshe, Reb, Reb Salavechik, quoted by Rav Shechter, and Rav Shechter pointed out that in the Igros Moshe, Rav Moshe Feinstein, he gave a similar argument. Although in the Nefesh HaRav, Rav Shechter does present different opinions in a discussion at this point. Nevertheless, we saw how Gedolim as Rav Chaim Ozer and uh, Rav Moshe Salavechik allowed people who are Mechal Shabbos to go up to Birchas Kohanim. The Tshuvas of Reb Chaim Ozer that are uh, famous for his discussion of gelatin, electricity, are world famous, but we don't have time to discuss them today. You have been listening to KMTT Kimitzion Tetzay Torah. And once again, I wish to remind you that this is KMTT Appreciation Drive Week. And we're waiting to hear from you. Phone number in New York, 212-732. 4874 and in Eretz Yisrael 052-545-6023 Call to